Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Yeah, there may be others, you know, because they might think, well, you know, he got this meat when he went down to the, you know, he went down to worship the God and brought some meat home. And now he's, you know, they might be implying that. Okay. The point here is, is that um, for if anyone sees you have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat these things offered idols? He might eat it and might be drawn into the idolatry. Or you might assume that when you got this meat at the idol that, or the temple, that you actually ate it in the temple and partook of the worship there. And he might think, well, it's okay to go down and eat if he does. And he's going to get um, sucked into this thing. And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. Perish there is not perish eternally. Perish there is be brought to ruin, be sin, fall into sin. Okay. Um, this is interesting. The Bible says if you have to choose between offending an unbeliever or believer, offend the unbeliever. But I assume it's mostly the unbelievers who are buying the meat. Unbelievers don't care. Yeah. Right? They don't care. They don't, understand. they don't understand. It doesn't bother them. Any. All right. So let me finish this up. And because of your knowledge of the weaker brother perish for whom Christ died, but when you thus sin against the brethren, whoa, wait a minute. What have I done? What is sin? Define sin for me. See, yeah, that's a good. No, I'm, I make it simple. I try to make it simple for you so everybody can understand. There's many ways we sin, right? But bottom line, what is sin? Falling short. Right. Self. Over. Over others. Over God. Over others. Over whoever. Bottom line is sin is a violation of a relationship. It's not rules. We've made it rules, right? If you you sin, if you violate this these 985 things, but then you go to another church and they don't have 985, they have only 813 rules. But then you go to one that has 2,680 rules. All right, sin is not the violation of rules. Sin is not the violation of a bunch of rites and rituals and rigor. Sin is the violation of a relationship. That's what it is. How did Adam and Eve sin in the first place? They violated the relationship with God. God says, don't eat this tree. And they said, well, we don't really trust you. We don't think you have our best interests at heart. We think you're trying to pull one over on us. And because of that, they disobeyed and ate. 
sin is not necessarily disobedience. Sin is of the heart, right? What did Christ say? What is the first and greatest commandment? You only need one commandment with God. What is it? Right. Because if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you need to be told not to have idols. It's an irrelevant thing, right? Do you need to be told not to take his name in vain? No, that takes care of itself. Do you be told that spend time with him? No, that takes care of it. That's that's taking care of the point is you can either do it negatively by coming up with all the rules or positively by loving your God and loving your brother. If I love my brother and I do something that I know will cause him harm, what am I doing? I'm sinning against him because I am violating my relationship with him. All right. And Paul is saying, don't, if it's all within you, don't violate the relationship. Don't do anything that will cause him harm to think wrong to do wrong to be wrong don't do anything when you sin against your brother and wound their weak conscience who do you sin against christ now think about this what does christ want for us christ wants us to have a vibrant relationship with him right part of having a vibrant relationship with christ is to act like christ right so if I am not acting like Christ by violating my brother, I'm also, in doing so, violating my relationship with Christ. That's what he's getting at. God wants you to act like him. How would God act? God acts with the other person's best interests at heart. Even if they have to set aside something they think is perfectly fine, it's not a commandment, it's not a principle, it's a flip a coin kind of thing. Give it up for the betterment of someone else, to cause them not to stumble. It's better that you do that than to sin against them. Therefore, if my food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. I won't do that. So how does this work out practically? How does it work out practically? Can you go around offending no one? Now, there comes a point when no matter what you do, somebody's mad at you, right? All right. So that that's that's not like as Christians, I need to worry about being a totally inoffensive person because I can't do that. All right. But if I know something, right, offends another brother that may cause them to stumble, may cause them to fall into sin, what should I do with my liberty? Set it aside. Set it aside. I don't have to do that. And there's a lot of things that fall under this. All right. Is it? Here's a question. Is it wrong to have a glass of wine with your meal? No. Does the Bible prohibit that? No. What does the Bible prohibit? Drunkenness. Drunkenness. Not alcohol. Drunk. All right. But 99% of the Christians you will run into will say what? So for their sake, don't do it. Don't do it. It's alright. You can give up your wine. Ain't gonna kill you, right? I party different with my non-believing friends than I do with my believing friends. Mm-hmm. If I invite, if I have a, a gathering of twenty Christians, and I, they're all my brothers and sisters in Christ, but I intentionally don't have wine as an option. Mm-hmm. Because I assume that there's one or two weaker brothers out there. Uh, and I, that's 
it's probably a wrong way to look at it, but we, I, we, we do treat our gallery. That's the right way to look at it. The right way is why to. Should, but you say if I know he would be offended by it, right. why should I assume that there's one out of 20 that would be offended? Err on the side of grace, not law. Yeah. Now, I, I mean, I was out with a couple of Christian friends. There's three of us, four of us. And we went to this real nice steakhouse in Canada. And they said, they asked me, said, you know, would it offend you if we ordered a glass of wine with our steak? I said, I don't care. Go for it. Doesn't bother me any. I, I, it's okay. I'm, I'm not going to be offended. I, you know, I'm not going to think any less of them as Christians because they had a glass of wine. All right. They're not drunks. I know their character. They're not drunkards. They're not alcoholics. But they wouldn't probably be able to get away with that in other company. When you say about what if it's somebody you I think I think in our culture, in, in this this you know in our culture, is alcohol does alcohol have a positive or negative connotation in our culture? Negative. All right, negative. So what do you do? What's the best thing to do? Not do it. Don't do it. You don't need to. If you want to have a glass of wine with your spaghetti at home, go for it. But it's it's best in public. And I have never drank wine for that particular case. I just it's one thing I don't have to worry about. It's not that I think it's a sin if I drank alcohol, but I've just decided that that's not something I need to do. I don't do it. All right. And and now there are other cultures in the world where. Per, you know, you go over to Italy, you know, everybody has a glass. I mean, you can't, you know, you go and say, I like a Pepsi. Go, we don't serve Pepsi here, man. You want, you know, we got 25 different kinds of wine and a couple of beer, but you want Pepsi. Forget it, you know. Or you must be some Yankee from America wanting Pepsi, you know. You know, you, you, go, with, you go with the culture in that case, you know. Um, but the, the, the bottom line of what Paul's doing here in this, in this, this question is be cognizant of the conscience of other believers and the rule. Here's, here's your number one rule. Here's a rule for life. Never violate your conscience. And never knowingly violate the conscience of another believer. Because that's a very dangerous thing to do. Why is it dangerous to violate your own conscience? If you violate your own conscience... It's a sin to you, right? Why? Because you think it's wrong. Now, may it be wrong or it may not be wrong. And, and, and don't get me wrong. Yeah. Here's the thing to really understand. Okay. There are two. There are basically two classifications of sin. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Mortal and venial. No. <laughs> That's the borderline Catholic whatever here coming out. The Bible says there are two major classifications of sins. We want to think of in those terms. There's a sin where it's a clear-cut violation of God's word. There's no question about it. All right? No, not commission and omission. That's, that's the first class. You either do something you're not supposed to do, you don't do something you're supposed to do. A clear, you know, it is spelled out in the word of God in no uncertain terms. This is a violation. If you do this, you are violating my relationship. You are sinning. But there's another sin, and that is a relative sin. And by relative, I don't mean relativism. That's not where we're going here. But it's relative to you. 
And one of the things that Paul brings out not only here, but in Romans 13, 15 or 14, I think it is, whatsoever is not a faith is sin, because Romans 14 is dealing with the same question. If you do something to violate your conscience to you, it is a sin. It may not be a sin to God, but to you, it is a sin because you are violating your conscience. Does that make any sense? Yeah, but where does truth fit into? From from God's perspective, is it okay to eat meat offered to idols? God doesn't care, right? God does not care if you offer if you eat meat offered. So from God's perspective, that's fine to do. But if you have a weak conscience and you think if I eat that meat, I'm I'm in essence worshiping those idols, and you consider it a sin. If you eat it, what are you doing? Sinning. Sinning. Not not because you're violating your relationship. You understand? You're violating your relationship with yourself. You're trying to do something to your wife that you know she doesn't like doing, or you're just doing it anyways. Um, but your conscience is... You're violating... Yeah. You know you just don't like that, and you're doing it, and you're eaten up by it in your own conscience. Same it, with God. Yeah, is this sort of clear what we're trying to get at here? All right. There's some sins that are absolute. If the eating of the meat offered to idols is an absolute sin to do it, what would Paul have said? Don't do it. So it's not an absolute sin, but it becomes a relative sin if by doing that I am violating my conscience or I'm knowingly violating the conscience of a weaker brother. Now, in that case, if my conscience is violated by something that God does not say is a sin, what do I need to do with my conscience? Violate it? No, don't violate it. What do you do? Follow it. You follow your conscience. You always follow your conscience. But how do you change it? By the knowledge of the Word of God. By studying the Word of God. By coming to understand. By getting to the point where as a weaker brother you finally get, oh, wait a minute. An idol is nothing. So what? See, you, 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 don't, you, you reprogram your conscience not by violating it, but by reprogramming it with the Word of God. Never violate your conscience. Never do that. That's a bad thing to do. Because when you violate your conscience, God says you are sinning. You don't want to do that. Getting your mind in line with what God's word says. Yes. And that's what Paul says. Us stronger believers, we know that an idol is nothing. But there's a lot of weak ones that don't. So, you know, don't violate their conscience. You know, don't don't do something that would cause them to stumble. Knowingly, wittingly doing it. And that's a general that that right there is what Paul's coming at. That's a general life principle for all of us. And that solves this these disputed areas. You know, there now there are a lot of places that like to make rules on that, right? I mean, I went to a church where you were not allowed to go dancing. Now, is that prohibited in the Bible? No. But if I if I go to a dance and I'm violating the conscience of another brother, what should I not do? Not don't go. I don't need to go. So you can't do nothing. You know. There are some people that say, "Well, you're not allowed to play cards with rooks, king, or with, with kings, queens." Now you can play rook. That's different with the numbers on them. But you can't use you know, regular playing cards. 
Now, does it matter? Does God really care? All right. Yeah. But to some people, you know, that, that's a heinous crime to do that. So what should you do as a, as a stronger Christian? I won't freak them out. If they come over, I'll hide the playing cards, you know. Now, now here's another one. What about uh, I, when I, in fact, this church here a while ago, you don't know how to go to a movie theater. Well, you could watch the same thing when it came out on video. In fact, I remember one of the pastors of the church going into the video place and had all these posters on there of all the X-rated and R-rated videos they had, and he walked in to rent a video. I'm thinking, well, it's okay for him to walk in there and rent a video, but he can't go to the movie theater and watch Bambi. I don't, what's the difference here? There isn't any difference, all right? But some people, and they really freaked on that. They really had a hard time with that. So as a Christian, what should I do? Should I say, well, bag it, I'm going to go to a movie anyways? And I deferred. Okay, if it's going to really bother somebody, I'll wait for it to come out on TV or something. I'm not going to go to a movie. I don't, I'm not going to ruin somebody by going to a movie theater and watching a movie if they think it's a wrong thing to do. I'll, and then, of course, Don here, he was the manager of a movie theater. Um, yeah, because what's the principle? The principle is not where you watch something. What's the principle? What are you watching? All right, that's the principle. But you see, see, when you come into this legalism, you try to take these gray areas and start to make laws and rules and regulations, what happens? It gets absurd. And all of a sudden, people are not, they're, they're totally missing the why, and they're hung, hung up on the what. Well, I'm not allowed to go to the movie theater, but I can watch the same movie when it comes out on TV. Well, you can't go to the movie theater because you're supporting the movie industry. Well, I can't watch TV because that's supporting the movie industry, too. Oh, he's Don Ingram. He used to have. Yeah. He, he was deep in that. Or here's another one. People say, well, you know, I can't go shop at a grocery store that sells wine. <laughs> well, you're going to starve to death then, all right? I mean, you know, or cigarettes or lottery tickets. Look, look folks. Look, you got to use your sense. You got to use your sense. But the but Paul's bringing out a principle here. Don't violate your conscience. Don't violate your brother's conscience knowingly. If at all, don't don't do that. Instead, you should maybe reprogram that conscience. Maybe you can discuss and talk to him to the weaker brother about why it's why it's not an issue. But don't force it. Let God, the Holy Spirit, work on him. All right. And if that weaker brother says, "Look, you know, to me, look, Paul, you know, I I can't do that, but." You know, if you don't feel bad about it and you think it's okay, you go ahead and do it. Well, that gives you freedom to do that. But don't do it if he thinks you're sinning by doing it. Use your head a little bit. Think a little bit. Okay? Well, some people said, you know, smoking doesn't send you to hell. It just makes you smell like you've been there and back. You know? Or what Vance Havner says, he says, you know, if you bring your cigarettes to church, you know, Leave them there on the doorstep, come in and worship, and you can pick them up on the way out, and I guarantee no hog or dog will ever come along and bother them. They'll, they'll be there when you get them out. You know. um, chapter 9. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal or the proof of my apostleship to my God. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat or drink? 
You have no right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles or brothers of the Lord and Cephas or Peter. There's only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working. Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard does not eat of its fruit, who tends a flock does not drink of its milk of the flock. Do I say these things in a mere manner? Does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. Is, is it an auction God is concerned about? Or does he say it all together for your sake, for our sakes? No doubt this was written that he who plows should plow in hope and he who threshes should threat, be a partaker of his hope. If we have some spiritual things for you, is it a great thing for reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we are not we even more? What's Paul making a case for in these 12 verses? You notice I'm picking up the pace a little bit. All right. What's the big point? Preachers are entitled to be paid. All right. You didn't have to be really bright to figure that out. Preachers have a right to be paid. I'm an apostle. Um, I've sown unto you spiritual things. I have poured my life into you. Um, just like a, a person who plants a vineyard can eat of the fruit. A person who tends a flock can drink of the milk of the flock. Um, I've sown to you spiritual things. I have a right as an apostle to reap material things. I have a right to be or to gain my living or my my livelihood from you. All right. I have that right. And why does Paul say he has that right? Because the people have an obligation to what? To care for their leaders. It, it's, it's a two-edged, two-way street here. All right? So Paul is basically saying, does anybody, well, you know, and these are all rhetorical questions. Does somebody go to war on his own expense? No, the country pays your way, right? You know? So he says, I have a right to gain my living. If I'm working full-time as an apostle, as a missions, I have a right to gain my livelihood from those people that I minister to. Okay. Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul, Paul is saying, I'm going to give you an example of giving up my right for the betterment of everybody. I have a right to be supported by you all. But just so no one can make any accusation that I'm in it for the money, I've decided to not take that right. I've given it up for the betterment of the body, for the betterment of others. I've given that up because I don't want to hinder the gospel of Christ. I don't want anyone to have any thought that I'm in this for the money. Now, I'll tell you what, a lot of our preachers today could really oh, yeah. latch on to this one, yeah. right? And for the money. Yeah. Is it wrong? Is it wrong to pay your pastor a decent wage? No, no, no. In fact, the Bible would say he's worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the Word and in prayer. But does that mean he gets a Rolls Royce? No, he's not. <laughs> All right, Frederick Price. You know, his congregation gave him brand new Rolls Royce, and he made him take it back because he didn't like the color, wanted a different color. Um, why are they going to that church? I don't know why anybody would do that. Well, he 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 he's he's one of the false prophets. Um, he is in it for the money. 
Well, you don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry. That's one less person you need to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's got bodyguards lined up in front and say somebody comes up and tries to beat him up, you know. Probably needs them. Um, you ever see, you see him? When he was preaching, he was preaching, he had two big heavies, you know, watching the congregation. They're bodyguards. I didn't see that. Yeah. But, um, Paul is saying, I don't want you to think it's, I'm in it for the money. And understand, as a congregation, we should pay our pastors a decent salary. You know, he shouldn't be, you know, some people say, well, we'll keep him poor and God will keep him humble. You know, nah, come on. Now, you got to measure that. Don't pay him exorbitantly. You know, he shouldn't have an exorbitant pay, but he should be able to pay his debts. He should be able to, you know, drive a decent car, not one that's falling apart, rusted out. You know, take care of your pastor. That's part of honoring the Lord's servants. That's part of honoring them. All right. But don't pay them so much that they don't depend on the Lord. There's a balance. And you can, you can find that. You don't need, you know, somebody to tell you what that is. Um, but he says, uh, Paul says, I've given it up for the betterment of the body. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things in the temple and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the temple? How did the priest eat in the Old Testament? The food, portion of the sacrifices they ate, right? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. God has called you to preach full time. You should be able to gain a living from that. Now, that doesn't mean you drive Rolls Royces and all that kind of stuff. Air-conditioned dog houses. You tell me why not. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll fall in. I would argue against any pastor that would do that. What kind what kind of message is he giving? That I want the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm not saying he should drive a clunker. Right? I'm not saying that. I'm saying I'm saying all of us know, look, you know, generally in, in, in a group of people, you they know what is over the top and what is reasonable, right? Drive something reasonable. Mercedes-Benz. You know. Yeah, that's the, <laughs> my observation is James Chesterfield from the church member goes to the church. There's a lot of uh, lady has a lot of jewelry things. Yeah. Don't do that. No. Because maybe a poor people look at that, they mind this with you know, weak. Mm -hmm. They hurt. That's, uh, you know, I, as you know, mm -hmm. has to have a gentle model. They're humble. Yeah, you're an example of the flock. You can drive. Yeah. What he's doing. But I saw uh, the other class, the pastor, sometimes they have Cadillac, roughly car all the time. And, and the, the parking lot, the member has a junk car. The pastor car is a very bright car. 
That's not right. That's no. Not right. Well, James chapter five is just talking about. That's not, I, 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 I believe the, if, if, if I'm a pastor, if I'm, pardon? I have a good scenario. Okay, as soon as I'm done. If I'm the pastor, if I'm the pastor of a church, my, my, my care, my concern should be for that flock. And whether I like it or not, whether it's fair or not, they're looking at me to model their life and their values after. Whether that's fair or unfair, folks, that's the way it is. And I don't want to do anything that would cause my flock to get a bad view or a warped view of materialism, of things like that. So whatever I drive and wherever I live should be proportional or commensurate to who I am ministering to. Is that making any sense? Yeah. All right. I don't want to live so far above them that there's a, there's a big disparity, all right? If they're driving, you know, a, a nice middle size kind of vehicle car, you know, I might drive a, why drive a Grand Marquis? Because I like the car, it's cheap. Okay. It's a nice cheap car for what you get for it, you know? But um, I could I could buy a, I could I could buy a Lincoln Continental. Yeah, usually I go to, I go you know? downtown. I'm not gonna drive my luxury car. No. I, I usually my truck. Yeah. You know, that's the idea with them. I drive a Ford Ranger. Everybody look at it. You know, yeah. Oh, this nice car. They scratch them up. Yeah. I drive a Ford Ranger and I drive a Grand Marquis. That's my two vehicles. My observation in the Bible, the church have two pastors. Somebody says she's a pastor. Also she a pastor. That's not the biblical. It's just pastors. It's pastor, but the Bible says bishop, pastor, deacon, the same thing. Yeah. They don't have any senior pastor or senior pastor. Yeah. And then they don't have. And then uh, I don't know everybody agree. And then my observation when I read the Bible. And then they say senior pastor paid a uh, one hundred thousand dollar per year, and also she pastor sixty thousand dollar a year. That's not right. Pastor is pastor. Well, I, I do think, I do think, I'm yeah, friend, I don't want to get too I far down. Church, yeah. People, I'm first time pastor, maybe. My, I'm maybe more congregation coming. I'm going to hire you another pastor. I don't want to try to give you an associate pastor. Everybody is called pastor. Mm. That's my plan. Yeah, it's not well, well I think, I think there is, I don't want to get it too far down where you're going. I think there's validity to what you say, but I also think that one of the things we should do is we should honor our leaders proportional to the investment they make in us. There are some that make more of an investment. They work harder. They should be paid more. All right. Yeah, but but there but but you're right in that there is a level at which you should, you know if, if you got a if you got a congregation that all they can afford you know are Ford Escorts and things like that, and you come tooling in in a loaded Lincoln. That's probably not a good, you know, a good model to yeah, to to, to, to do. Be commensurate yes. with what your people are. Houses as well. Houses as well. Yeah, um, you got people. You know, when your pastor's living in a mansion and the average person is living in a small house, that it just gives a bad. But modern church, mm -hmm. I go every church, I look at the, 
I see here, first time I come here, I look at the, the title. Well, that's our, that's our, that's our, and by the way, I don't I know, think there's anything val invalid. Yeah. Nah, I wouldn't say unbiblical. Yeah. I'm offending. No. <laughs> I, th I think, I think there, I think there's a lot of latitude in the biblical model of things. What Paul is trying to get at here, where we got off on this rabbit trail, but it's a good rabbit trail. What Paul is getting at here is he's saying, I am conscious. I am conscious of who I'm ministering to. And I don't want to do anything that would hinder the gospel, either by taking a salary, which may, in this case, hinder the gospel, because people might think, well, I'm in for it, in it for the money. I don't want to be living above my means. I don't want to be walking around, you know, in 300 or, or $800 suits when my people can hardly afford a sports jacket. Look, it... it Use your sin. How would Christ live? If Jesus Christ showed up, do you think Jesus Christ said, well, I'll, I'll come and I'll, I'll serve, you know, but first of all, I get a $5,000 honorarium before I'll speak and uh, make sure I'm picked up at the airport in a Lincoln. I don't want no Cadillac. I'm not a caddy guy. I want a Lincoln. You know, I want a Lincoln. And uh, I expect, you know, filet mignon for, for dinner. Not, you know, you, come on. That's not what. That's pride. That's arrogance. You're, you're not in. You're not in the ministry for the money. You're not in the ministry for what you get out of it. You're in the ministry because that's what God called you to do. And if you don't do it, you're like Jeremiah. There's a fire in my bones. I cannot first stay. I got to speak. That's why you're in it. Now, if if God, you know, gives you a certain level of comfort in the ministry, that's that's fine. But make sure that it's not exorbitant. Make sure that that doesn't become a hindrance. And you know when it does. We will know when it does. Yeah, Bart. I ran into him. I talked to him and his wife. Nice, nice couple. And uh, somebody donates. They donated a Lincoln Continental to him to drive. That was his car. That was a donation to the ministry. He didn't buy it. It was donated to the ministry. You know, so he drove a Lincoln, but he his salary was only like twenty thousand dollars a year or something like that. This is this is now look, he lived in California. This is in the you know, the the whole uh hoo ha with uh, Baker and all that. He was making he made twenty thousand a year, I think it was. And then, then there's Billy Graham. Billy Graham was at seventy, I think, at the highest. And most you know, most of what you consider your godly men were around somewhere around in there. And of course, you got the other crew that's up here in the millions, you know. But say MacArthur doesn't take out a very right? And Rick Warren, I think, donates all his. He he don't, donates everything back. Yeah. In fact, he gave a check back to the church for the salary they had paid him for all the years. Because book sales, he made so much money on the book sales. He just he gave it. He said, you know, everything he added up all that the church had paid him over the years and gave it back to them to not take. You know, those are the kind of people that Paul is saying. Follow them, because they're not in it for the money. They're not in it to make a living out of it. Do they have a right to be paid by the kind? Well, sure they do, but that's not the motivation for being in the ministry. That's not why they're there. And when you've got somebody that's demanding this and demanding that and all of this kind, they are they are fleecing the flock, and 99% of them are on TBN. You know, they're taking you to the cleaners, all right? They had one say, Larry Lee, I don't know if anybody heard Larry Lee, but he... He was a 
yeah, he's sort of an interesting character. But he had a section about his house burned down, supposedly. And they had a special amount. His house was burned down. He's walking with his wife near Teary's and all that. And walking through the house, you know, it's all this, you know, rubble and all of that. And they were seeking donations to rebuild his house. What he didn't tell you is that was his vacation home. <laughs> that wasn't his real house. All right. Yeah. And then you got Bob Tilton. He's from Texas. Taking it the high day, he's taking in half a million dollars a day. A day. People are sending him half a million dollars a day. He's the one where if you give me ten dollars, God will give you a hundred back. Give me a hundred, God will give you a thousand. This tenfold guy here. And he he had more he didn't they didn't know how to man you know, can you imagine taking your offering to the bank in a Brinks truck? I mean, good night, you know. Um, but he was in it for the money. These aren't in it. These are not people that are humble. They they lack humility. Well, what about the church that's asking for your W two before you can give him? Don't go there. <laughs> Don't go there. Their regulation, uh, if they go uh, out of state, something job, out of the state, they have to go to the Yeah. That's the regulation, Woody Biden. Yeah, you can't go by yourself. Yeah, because uh, if you go by himself, they're wasting money or something to do. That's what makes a, a security yeah. to protect them. But, the, but they have to come back, they bring the receipt. Yeah. How much are you? Mm -hmm. That's the good regulation. Yeah, and later on, in fact, in Second Corinthians, we're going to find the, the safeguards Paul built in when he took his his um, offering to the Jerusalem church. We're going to find about safeguards that he built in to make sure that everything was above board. There were no questions of impropriety. And all Paul's trying to get here, the big picture Paul's bringing out in nine here, is I have a right to be paid. I'm not going to take it. and I'm not going to live an, an extravagant lifestyle. All right. Because if I do, what's it going to say about Christ? What's it going to do to the gospel? It's going to distort it. It's going to make it into something it's not. All right? People are going to focus on the money. And as soon as anybody stands up and says, being a Christian means you're wealthy, they are, go, read, go home and memorize Second Peter chapter 2. They are blemishes. They are hidden reefs. They are wandering stars. They are wells without water. They're brute beasts made to be taken out and killed. Don't go, don't follow them. Don't follow them. The way that these um, television fundraising preachers look to people outside the church, so that's the impression they get. It's I, all about the money. It's not really I've listened to John MacArthur preach for, since 1983 or 82. I first heard him. And I can count on one hand the number of times I've ever heard him mention anything on the radio about contributing to the ministry in 20 years, 30 years now almost. He says, look, if the money's there, we do it. If it's not, we don't. We don't beg people for money. You know? He lives in a house. He, he tell you. He lives in a house commensurate with that location. He doesn't have a mansion. He doesn't drive a, a fancy dancy car. Um, in fact, his book sales, he gives all of the proceeds for all of his book sales to charity. He doesn't negotiate book contracts. Yeah, he says, if, some, if they want me to write a book, if I want to write a book, I'll write. If I don't, I don't. But I'm not going to write a book because they give me money. 
He, he has no set honorarium. If he's going to come speak, he'll come speak. He doesn't demand $5,000 honorarium or whatever. Um, there are certain groups that demand, you know, if you, ministry groups. Don't get me on my soapbox again. I get tired of these musical groups say, yeah, we'll come to a concert. Um, you got to promise a $5,000 honorarium. Well, I don't want you to come and sing. But it's our ministry. No, it's not. By definition, what is a ministry? By definition, what's a ministry? Service. You don't do it for what? Money. As soon as you say, I got to have so much money, it's no longer service as a ministry. It's a job. And I don't want somebody coming to me and singing to me because it's their job to sing to me. You want to come minister to me, fine. And I can give you an honorarium, a love offering, whatever to cover your expenses. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you start demanding money and demanding certain levels of income, forget it. You don't negotiate. Mother Teresa, after she died, only only the uniform and the Bible left. Yeah. That's all she had. Paul's saying, <laughs> he's saying here, um, but I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that it should be done to me. For it would have been better for me to die than anyone should make my boasting void. What was Paul boasting about? What was his boast? I'm not in it for the money. I don't want anybody to think I'm in it for the money. I'm in it for what I get out of it. Sometimes you know, things look, appear one way. I have a lot of it. As a church in New Jersey, as a senior pastor, my brother-in-law is the associate at our pastors the Philadelphia Eagles and in this church there are very very uppity the pastor was a millionaire because of his computer skills and because of his computer business before they even started the church in 1980 and their church is very wealthy but what they do in the community supersedes you know they don't have that that look at me attitude and they have all these superstars amongst them uh, Trey Thomas comes to their church. All these other people go to their church. But their outreach, the way they bring kids to the to the games, um, and they're at a they're at a real wealthy. Uh, their church is very wealthy. And see, in, in their community, but they're known for a church that gives to the community. They're known for the the Eagles in that area. They mm -hmm. do school assemblies and stuff. And uh, but this is a man that is a pastor, but before he became a pastor, he was a very wealthy, he was a millionaire because mm -hmm. of his business. Paul's not saying if you're a millionaire, you can't be a pastor. Right. And I think a you lot know. of times people think just because a certain church had money and a certain, like, I, my, when I came to our church, we had 130 people. Now we're at over a thousand. And I've seen the stages of our ministry grow. Now, we're, you know, Lorraine's Ford workers and factory workers and blue collar, and that's our church. You go to this church, it's not blue collar. It's, it's, money, it's mainly blue collar. I know, to a, um, the church in uh, um, New Jersey. Okay. It's very professional. Now, it's just hard to look at churches that have money or you know, different congregations and label them as they're, they're hungry for money. Or this church yeah. is poor, so they're, um, they're uneducated. That's or, not, yeah. You know, and I think a lot of people do that. I think they do, but that's not what Paul is trying to point out here. He's saying Paul's looking beyond what you have to the motive. That's that's where it's at. 
If you're a millionaire and you become a pastor, the Bible doesn't say give all your money away. Right? It doesn't say give all your money away. You know, um, later on, Paul said, wherever, wherever, wherever state you're called in, be there, you know. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, what is your attitude towards things? And that will leak out. Yeah. That will leak out. Yeah. If you if, if that church is known by every time I go in there, they're preaching about more money, more money, more money. You know, wait a minute. You know, there's something wrong with that. You know, if they happen to be wealthy or affluent church, but they're not beating. They're not demanding W-2s to make sure people are giving their 10 percent and all that stuff. Don't don't worry. You know, there are churches that do that. You know, they'll discipline you out if, if you fall below your giving level. Don't go there. You don't need to go there. Yeah. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. What was Paul's motivation for preaching the gospel? He was called to and he had to. Woe is me if I don't. I'm certainly not in it for the money. And quite honestly, Paul could make the argument, you know, if I was in this thing for the money, I could have thought of some better vocations than getting beat in every city, being thrown in jail, shipwrecked. I mean, you know, those people say I'm in it for the money. They don't know what they're talking about. Sounds like you said Jeremiah earlier. Yeah. Burns in his bones. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I've been entrusted with a stewardship. I've been entrusted with a stewardship. What's a stewardship? It's not yours. You're responsible to manage it. What is my reward then that I, when I preach the gospel, I represent the gospel of Christ without charge. They may not abuse my authority in the gospel. What is my reward for preaching the gospel? What's my pay? What does Paul think his pay is? His pay here is to not have to charge to preach the gospel. That's his pay. Because he's under compulsion. And how did Paul he support himself? Well, he was a tent maker. He supported himself. And he said, I don't want to abuse my authority in the gospel. I don't want anybody to think I'm in it for the money. For though I am free of all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may win the more. I'm doing this. Paul says my motivation for what I do is to maximize my effectiveness in proclaiming the gospel. To the Jews, I became a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law, not being without a law toward God, but under law towards Christ, I may win those who are without the law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I may win the weak. I become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. Now let me boil these verses down. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying that within God's commandments, I have a broad area of things that I can do to preach the gospel. Paul is not saying I have, I'm going to compromise my principles. Some people use to say, well, this means, you know, whatever it takes, the pragmatic approach. Whatever it takes, have at it. That's not what Paul is saying. What is Paul saying? When I'm preaching to a Jew, how do I act? How do I talk? As a Jew. When I'm preaching to a Gentile, how do I come across? As a Gentile. You know? Why? Because I want to reach them. 
All right. I become all things to all men in the sense that I am, I am, Paul's saying, I am conscious of the, of the client of the, I don't want to use the word customer. That doesn't sound right. I'm, I'm conscious of the people I'm preaching to, to become like them in order to increase my effectiveness of preaching the gospel. If, if you, yeah, if you go, if you're a missionary, I had to laugh. I'm, I'm sorry, I just had to, when I looked at this picture, I thought it was funny. We had a man from our church, he was preaching in Africa to a group of, you know, indig indigenous people in their, in their dress or non-dress, as the case might be. And he had a white shirt and tie on. Now, first of all, I think tie should be illegal to start out with. But he's in the middle of Africa. Bag the tie, bag the shirt, you know, put on whatever they're wearing, you know. Um, become one of them. That's how you reach people. You know, you don't reach people by standing apart. Now, Paul is saying, I've, I've not, I'm not violating the law of God. I'm not, I'm not becoming antinomian. I'm not buying into their sinful practices. You know, I'm not going to go down and get drunk with the boys at the bar in order to witness to them. I'm not going to do that. But Paul is saying, I have learned to give up my comfort zone, my things, to maximize my effectiveness in reaching people. Okay? And I will bend where reasonable and where allowed to reach them. Because it's more important for me to reach these people than to live in my own comfort zone or in my own little world or the things I want. Remember what Paul said earlier on in the book, when I came into Corinth, I did not come in with eloquent words, but in weakness and fear and much trembling. So that when you responded, it wouldn't be because it was me, it was because it was the Spirit of God. Look at the heart of a person. Look, look When you're looking at a pastor, what, what is his heart? Why is he doing it? What's he in the ministry for? And is he willing to become all things to all people in the sense that he is willing to lay aside his cultural preferences for the sake of others? If you're going over to Jew's house, don't bring pork. Don't bring a ham sandwich. You know, just go with the flow. You know, if you're over to a Gentile, eat what they eat, you know, whatever. And then he says in verse 24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one gets the prize? Run that you may obtain it. Axiomatic truth. How many people run a race? A lot. How many first place winners? One. So how are you going to how are you going to run? Are you going to run to become disqualified? You're going to run to win. See, that's why Paul was a double. Why Paul I call him a double A. He he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't start the race to show up. Think of Dennis Kucinich. <laughs> yeah, it's like Pauline. If you're not going to win, why run? <laughs> you know, there's no way you're going to. Well, sorry about if, if I've stepped on some Democratic toes here, but you know, you got to come up with a better candidate than that one. All right. I think the best. I think the best uh, statement by him is Dennis Miller. You're hearing him on Fox News. He said a stopped brain is right twice a day. You know, sort of like a clock. You know, um, but the whole point is, run to win. 
if you're going to do something for the Lord, don't run just to compete and say, I showed up. Run to win. Run with a winning attitude. Yeah. And everyone who competes for the prize is what? Temperate in all things. What's temperate there? Discipline, self-control. Look at this kind of, you know, look at what they have to do. Olympic runners, you know, what they got to do to be in there, you know. They got a particular diet, you know. A host is, give them a host of swinkies. Like, no way. You know, if I eat that, I'm going to, you know. They got to wear the right clothes. You know, they got, they got special friction reducing clothes to wear in the race. All kind, I mean, look at all what they do to win. What is Paul saying? Run in the Christian life. Run to win. And if you're going to win, you've got to be disciplined or you don't win. You don't win. You want to be a good runner. You've got to practice running or you don't win. Be temperate. They do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. What's that? A reward. You might compete in a in you know the Indianapolis Colts. They won the Super Bowl. Great, wonderful. A hundred years from now, ask somebody who the team was, and they probably couldn't rattle it off unless they were John, in which case they could probably do that. It's a perishable crown, right? Next Super Bowl, what are they talking about? The Colts? Yeah, they're has beens. You know, Paul is saying we do it for an imperishable crown. We do it for a reward that never fades. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. I don't run with, he's saying, I don't run half-heartedly. I fight, not as one who beats the air. What's the idea of beating the air? Shadow boxing. I'm not shadow boxing. I want to hit something. All right? But I discipline my body and bring it in subjection, lest when I preach to others, I should become disqualified. Paul's saying, I am in this race to win this thing. I'm going to do whatever it takes to win. I don't want to just place. I don't want to just show up. I want to win. And I don't want to get disqualified because I've violated a rule of the game. I don't want to disqualify I remember what is a couple Winter Olympics ago, the speed skating, which I always thought was fascinating. The guy had the world record, but he had one problem. He accidentally touched the ice with the tip of his finger. Disqualified. Lost. One little mistake, you know. Lost. Paul says, I don't want to preach to others. I don't want to invest in others. Then find myself getting disqualified because I violated well, I didn't take it seriously. I wasn't careful. I beat my body. I, Paul is saying, I am in this. And this, the, the, he's building on this concept of the weaker brother. Look, do whatever it takes to maximize your impact. If you have to give up your rights, if you have to give up freedoms, if you have to give up and become weak to the weak and strong to the strong, do it. Whatever it takes so that you can win other people to Christ. So you can maximize your your Christian influence. You're not in it for you. Christianity is not what's in it for me. It's what's in it for you. What's in it for Christ? How can I serve you? How can I serve Christ? How can I reach people? It's not about me. 
And the Christian life is not about you. It's not. It's not about you. And Paul's saying, I've given up my rights. My right of being supported by the church, I've given that up because that is my reward. I can serve Christ and not have anybody think that I'm in it for the money and not make any possibility that I'm going to take advantage of the church and I'm going to pour myself into it because I want to win. I want to, I want to win the prize. I want to compete and win. I don't want to just show up. And then um, chapter 10. I know we're supposed to be through 11. We won't get there. If you let me go five minutes early, late, we can go through 10. If you don't, I'll just leave. Let's see how far we get through 10. 10 is not a tough one. Moreover, brethren, I do want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the city, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. What's he talking about? Well, here's the example. And all the Jewish people knew that, right? So think of the people that came out of Egypt. They were all under the cloud. What does it mean they were under the cloud? God was leading them, right? The cloud, pillar of fire, right? They were all baptized into Moses. What does that mean? They're identified. Moses did not dunk any of them in water. That's not. They were all identified with Moses. They were all with him. They went out of Egypt with him. They were all there. And I, and it says here, all of them ate the same spiritual food. What was that? Manna. Manna. All of them drank the same water. What was that? The water from the rock. God provided for them. So they all had the same spiritual what? Privileges. They all had the same exposure to the same truth. They were all had the same truth. They were all led by Christ. They were all partakers of the of the um, abundance of Christ. But what happened? A lot of them died in the wilderness. A lot of them didn't make it. What's the warning Paul's trying to get through here? There's a lot of people that hang around, but who wins? The ones who finish. The ones who finish. Now these things became our example to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters. There were some of them, and as is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and one day 23,000 died, nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by turpents, nor should we complain, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Which is, these are just examples. And all, you know, When I was going through, when I was a little kid, I made eight trips through the promised land in our Sunday school curriculum, I got to the point where, oh, no, not the promised land again. I've been there eight times, you know. Um, but I did learn something. And that is, look at the children of Israel. Paul's saying, here's some examples. They had spiritual privileges. They were led by Moses. God took care. Think about it. You, you've been brought out. You've just experienced God destroying the, the socio-economic structure of the greatest empire of the world at that time. 
you come up to the Red Sea, there's water in front of you, there's the army behind you. The next morning you march across on dry land, you watch the water destroy the army of Pharaoh, and you march in the wilderness a couple of days and you conclude that God brought you out there to kill you. That's what they did. Gripe, whine, complain. Paul is saying, what happened to the children of Israel are examples for us. In what sense are they an example for us? In what sense? Not to be like that and not be get disqualified because who got into the promised land? What was the prize for Israel? What was the prize? Promised Promised land. How many made it? Two. Two. How many left Egypt? About two million. Quite a few. How many made it? Two. It's not very good, is it? And how did they become disqualified? What kept them from getting the prize? What kept them from winning? Paul's saying, I beat my body daily to win. What kept the Israelites from winning? Well, let's see. Uh, they lusted after evil things. What did they lust after? We want meat. We don't like this manna anymore. We want some quail. Well, God gave them some quail. Don't become idolaters. What's that? Um, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. When were they idolaters? Well, while Moses was up on the mountain getting the law of God, what were the Israels doing? Making a golden calf. And bowing down to it and worshiping it. And uh, and there's a few of them that died there, right? How about the sexual immorality? Well, what did that happen? Well, that's the Moabite. Remember? Remember old Barak said, you know, Balaam and Barak said, you know, well, I'll tell you what, you know, I can't curse them, but, you know, get some of your gals and get them dialed up and send them down to camp and they'll commit immorality and God will destroy them for you. God will do what you can't do. And then it worked. It worked. And then they uh, complained and remember God sent fiery serpents among them to kill them. And then uh, all these things happen. Look, you know, there's a lot of ways to get disqualified. And one of the things that, that Paul is bringing out here to the Corinthians, he's saying, I don't want to become disqualified in my ministry. I beat my body daily. And if you want to think about it, remember Israel, look at them. How did they get disqualified from reaching the promised land? Complaining, griping, lusting after evil things, sexual immorality, idolatry. I mean, you name it. And they, they and then they got up the edge of the promised land. God says, okay, go in. And what happened? Well, we'll send 12 guys in, check it out. What is a smart thing to do? And they come back and say, you know, we're toast. They're bigger than us. They're, we, we, we're dead. Well, Joshua and Caleb said, let's go have it. You know, God given it to us. He's Look, he's taking us, think guys, he's taking us through the wilderness. He's uh, given us all of this food. He's, he's provided for us all the way through. He's going to kill us now. Yep, God brought us here to have them wipe us out. And they mourned all night. And the next day, God shows up. What happens to the ten spies? Well, the ground swallows up and destroys them. That's the end of them, right? And God says, because you would not, now you cannot. And so they wandered for 40 years till all of them, 20 years and older, died in the wilderness. 20, 20, 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. How else can, how else can you fall? 
How else can you become disqualified? Not paying attention. Thinking you're okay, right? Not paying attention. How many people have failed in their Christian life by just not paying attention? How many miles were they from the promised land? Three or four miles? When they walked in the wilderness. They walked all the way through the wilderness, hundreds of miles probably. But from the promised land, some of, I, I heard, I remember the actual distance. No, it, it's, the, the, I mean, that's the whole Saudi peninsula as they were wandering in. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a while. Yeah. How long was uh, how many miles? Miles from. I heard miles. No, it's probably more than that. No, when they're in the wilderness to the promised land. They walked through the wilderness several hundred miles through the wilderness to the promised land. They wandered around in the wilderness, and that's an awfully big area that they wandered in. The Bible doesn't say you know. You know what the path was, but in the car for seven days, and then people walking is thirty days. It was a it was a ways away. Then it says here, verse twelve: If you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. Pride will disqualify you, won't it? There are men in the ministry who said, oh, that will never happen to me. It'll never happen to me. And bang, what happened? Guess what happened to them? They weren't paying attention. One of the things you have to do in the Christian life is pay attention. Yeah. When you say disqualified, is that for service or some people believe it's salvation? This service. And Paul is using the example. He's drawing an example. He's saying, I want to run to reach the prize. What's the prize to Paul? Well done, good and faithful servant. Good job. You've done what God has called you to do. What happened to Israel? Well, they didn't reach the prize, which to them was the promised land, because they were disqualified. Paul's saying, I don't want to be disqualified. Look at Israel, how they were disqualified. You know, as an example, they, they were an example to us. You can see how they blew it. They had all the spiritual privileges, you know, and they, they, they blew it. In, fight, in spite of the miracles that they saw on the pillar, and the, they they constantly were griping and complaining about something. But they weren't disqualified for service. They were disqualified for being Yeah, and I believe, Hebrews says they died in unbelief, which means they were not believers. It says they died in unbelief. They refused to believe God. God gave them all this information, and their conclusion was he's going to kill us. He's going to kill us. You know, um, I, I think the only two out of that lot, you'll, or three, is Moses, Aaron, and Joshua. You'll see them in heaven. I'm not sure about any of the other ones. Caleb, Caleb yeah. I'm not sure about any of the other ones. Miriam? There's a few. But, but, but of the two million that left, very few of them will probably be, because most of them died in unbelief. They refused to believe God. You know, they, and by the way, Unbelief is a refusal to believe God. It's not doubt. Unbelief is I don't care what the I'm not going to believe. I refuse to believe. The Jews of Jesus' day too. It says that the Jews seek a sign. The Jews seek a miracle. 
They saw them all. Miracles do not. Yeah. One of the great charismatic errors is to think if we can show somebody a miracle, they'll believe. That's not true. Christ showed miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, and they made one excuse after another why not to believe him. Culminating in, well, he's doing it because he's a uh, prince of the devil. He's he's Satan. He's he's doing it by the power of Satan. They want to go back to the leeks, the onions, and the garlics. And by the way, the leeks, onion, garlic was that was the spices. That was the nice food, you know. The yeah. <laughs> then verse 13, here's the great promise. No temptation is taking you such as is common to man. But God is able, God is faithful, not allow you to be tempted above what you're able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You can't make the argument that you've disqualified because something came up that you were not able to overcome. God makes a way of escape. God does not allow you to be test, tested above your capability of testing. It's a great verse. Yeah, you don't have to fail. Paul is saying here, you don't have to fail. How can you fail? Well, you can fail by falling into sin, immorality, you know, um, griping, whatever. Or you can, some people say, well, you know, I, I, I can't win because I, I, the temptation is too great. I can't, I couldn't help but not sin. I couldn't help but fail. Paul's saying you don't have to fail. God will make a way of escape. Now, you may have to ask him for help, but he'll make a way of escape. He'll, he, he provides a way. Why would God, look, folks, why would God save you to make you holy, then present you with a scenario that is, that is impossible for you not to fail at? Does that make any sense? God saved you to make you holy, and he's going to stick you in a spot where you can't help but sin. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. He's not going to do that to you. I wrestled with that verse for a long time. Once I became a Christian, finally I realized it was very simple. You know, there is a way out. Just, just run and don't look back a lot of times. That's the way out. You know, I kept saying, I've got a couple of ways out. I've been, you know. Sometimes the way out is not to go in. Right. I mean, you know, not to get yourself in that spot to start out with. And therefore, my beloved brother, in verse 14, flee from idolatry. Great word. It means to run like from a lion coming after you. Run as fast as you can. I speak to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which you bless, is it not communion with the blood of Christ, the bread which we break, is it not communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Serve Israel after the flesh, are not those who eat of the sacrifices, partake of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything, or that things what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things with the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons, that's your verse, and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? What's he trying to say here? You don't want to become disqualified. You want to flee idolatry. Flee idolatry in any form. How does this relate to what he's been talking about here? 
You can't have choose one or the other. You cannot eat at the table of demons and eat at the table of Christ. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. How else can you become disqualified? Compromise. Compromise. Look, you know, I go to church Sunday, but Monday I can do what I want. That's the borderline Catholic, evangelical, whatever he was earlier. Um, as long as I do my confession on Sunday, Monday's my own, right? You can't have it both ways. You, now, he's going to come to talk about the Lord's table here later on in chapter 11. But the whole point that he's trying to make here is that as a Christian, you're one or the other. You're for God or you're against God. You can't be for God and for the demons. You can't have God and your idolatry. One of the things, if you remember anything about the um, Israelites in the wandering wilderness wanderings, is it says they had God, but they also had Chin, one of the false gods. They took them along with them. They were serving both gods. You can't have a Chin. C-H-I-U-N. Yeah. Um, and then Paul wraps his thinking up here saying, with, with this whole, now again, this context is the context of, can I eat doubtful things? Right? That's the context. He starts out by saying, look, eating meat offered to idols is nothing, because the idols are nothing. But if I offend somebody, I'm not going to do that. But then there's another thing. If, I, if eating that meat offered to idols means I'm partaking of that worship, which in those days a lot of it was, then I can't have it both ways. I can't go down to the temple and pull up a chair and eat at a pagan feast, and then go worship at the Lord's table. I can't do both. I can't, I can't do that. In verse 23, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful. But all things do not edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. This is the this is the linchpin principle here. It's lawful for me to do that, but I am not going to do it if it doesn't edify other people. What's edify? Build up, right? If me doing something is going to cause somebody to stumble, to be offended, to be hurt, to be bothered, I'm not going to do it. And if it's not helpful, in what case is it helpful? If it's not helping me to do what? Be more effective, be more mature, be more godly. If it's not helpful, I'm not going to do it. I might be allowed to do it. I'm just not going to do it. And, you know, one of the things I've noticed as I've grown in my spiritual life is that, slowly, unfortunately, there are certain things that I no longer do that one day I thought were Perfectly okay. I just don't do them. They're not wrong. It's just it doesn't doesn't really edify. Is it wrong to watch TV? Well, no. But I'm finding myself watching less and less in some cases because it doesn't do anything. It doesn't help. It doesn't build anything up. Let's, let, let me invest in something that has a positive effect on my Christian life. 
Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. Go down to the meat market, buy it, eat it. Don't worry about where it came from. If it's a good price, go for it. For the earth is the Lord and it's all that's in it. Doesn't belong to you. Don't ask questions. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and desire to go, eat whatever set before you, asking no question. If somebody invites you over and sets some meat in front of you, don't say, now, did this come from the idol factory or not? Don't worry about it. Eat it. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, don't eat it for the sake of the one who told you. Why would they tell you it's offered to idols? It probably bothers them. Don't eat it. And for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. For Notice what it says, for conscience sake. Whose conscience? It could be both, but particularly I think for the weaker brother. Don't eat it. It's okay. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. It's his conscience. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all the glory of God. Give no offense, neither the Jews, nor the Greeks, nor the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of Christ, that they might be saved. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul is saying, look, don't offend. If somebody points it out and it's a problem with them, don't eat it. For their conscience sake, defer to them. You can give up your rights. You can give up what you want. And then he says, you know, I want you to imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, that's a great one. You know, we have this piosity attitude today that says, you know, don't, well, don't follow me, follow Jesus. Well, Paul didn't say that. Imitate me as I do what? Imitate Christ. You should be able to tell people, follow my model. Not, not with an arrogant, pompous but say, follow me as I follow Christ. The implication is, what are you following? Christ. The upshot of this whole section here, 8, 9, 10, is when it comes to doubtful things, particularly in this case, the meat offered to idols, defer to the weaker brother. The grand scheme of things, look, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness of it, there's no idols, Eat it, don't ask questions. But if somebody points it out, makes it an issue, defer. Defer in Christian charity to those. Why? Because you don't want to become disqualified. You want to maximize your, your um, impact. You want to reach the prize. You want to win the prize. And because of that, you may have to discipline yourself and beat your body and put yourself out for the other person's sake. Why? So that you can win. And don't be like the Israelites who didn't want to be put out by anything, right? What did they do? They were disqualified through their griping, their complaining, their whining, their pride. Where did that come in? Well, think about AI, right? Well, you know, we just knocked off Jericho. AI is a podunk little. We don't even have to send our whole army up there. They got smashed to pieces because they're sending the camp. Pride will kill you too. Don't become disqualified. Reach for the prize. Win it. Discipline yourself. I'm sorry, I'm 10 minutes over. Let's close in prayer. Father, thanks so much for this time and for your word, and we appreciate the opportunity to be here to study. And bring us back safely next week. In Christ's name, amen.
Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.